Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters podcast, your one-stop resource and expert insights and advice on everything therapy rehab. I'm your host, Scott Rongo, and today I'm joined by Troy Beige, CEO of Ivy Rehab for Kids. Troy, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Hey, great, Scott. It's good to be on here and uh, excited to spend a little time talking about our journey at Ivy Rehab for Kids and sharing a little bit about some of our learnings and, and where we've come from. So great to be on with you. Yeah, no, that that's great. We we appreciate it. Uh, yeah, probably the best place to start, right, is um, you know maybe a little bit of background on Ivy Rehab for Kids and how, how it started up. Oh, sure. It, you know, it's an interesting story. Uh, Ivy Rehab for Kids is part of a larger organization, Ivy Rehab. I served for the last five and a half years as the chief operating officer for Ivy Rehab. And uh, we had uh, initially a single pediatric therapy clinic in Cranford, New Jersey, since about 2015. They came on as part of uh, an acquisition we had done. That single site continued on. We partnered with another group down in Virginia that brought on an additional six sites. And what we found as we dug into pediatric therapy is we loved it. We love the heart of what the, the, it serves, the, the population that it serves. Um, we also found that um, although it's a challenging business, it's one that we found a way to be able to make it a good business and something that we could grow. So you fast forward in 2022, we made this strategic decision to really commit all into pediatric therapy. And so we had a phenomenal growth last year, and we sit today at about 118 sites across 11 different states, far and away the largest pediatric therapy provider in the country. Uh, that, that's awesome. I, I think there's always something great to be said about businesses, and you can say this about therapy uh, across the board, but just businesses in general where you're you're doing good for people, but also obviously um, able to make it economically make sense for for the investors and, and for people involved, right? So it's a it's a win-win across the board. So when you when you think about it, you know, as you expanded the business, what are three things, what, two or three things that you learned that you'd say, th- these would be tips and tricks, if you will, for our listeners that might be looking to do something similar in nature? Sure. Well, maybe I'll give you a first, maybe broader learning. Uh, it's that uh, pediatric therapy is a tough business with a big heart. And the w- w- reason I say that is you think about a business model uh, is that You've got your primary payer in pediatric therapy is usually Medicaid. So think low reimbursement and your therapist population, everything you do with the kids is one-on-one care. So think lower productivity. So low reimbursement, low productivity, you say, boy, let's do more of that. (laughs) Uh, It's it's not the easiest from a business standpoint, but we found a way that we're able to really marry uh, the, the the great parts about pediatric therapy, the incredible need that's out there for, you know, children who need high quality services like we provide. And we've been able to, to build what we think is a, a really special business. And then the support systems around that business, around clinical education, around teammate development, uh, around professional growth that we think uh, puts us in a different place than, than really anybody else who, who does this service line across the country. So we feel great about that. If we step back and we think about some of the learnings, uh, the, the first one, and, and you start with the biggest one first, it's culture is king. And, you know, the, the culture, of, I think, as most people know, really defines 
who your business is and what it feels like. And for Ivy Rehab for Kids, a lot of our growth has been through bringing on new partners. So acquisitions, but we the, for us, they're partners. They come in, uh, they have their own culture of, of their, their sites. And we've got to find this balance of being able to allow them to continue to have a great culture that was something we wanted to partner up with, while also bringing them a little bit of Ivy's culture that we think is pretty special also. So uh, I think that's, uh, you know, a big challenge in making sure that whenever you're thinking about uh, bringing on either opening up new clinics or bringing in uh, acquisitions, you've got to really think first, is it a cultural fit? Do you see a pathway where you all will fit together culturally and then making consistent investments in valuing what that partner brings to the table? Because I think when, when I say everything I learned uh, about M&A, I learned from uh, prior failures and, and, and watching it not go well. And, and probably, you know, probably 20 years back in my career, I was part of a company that uh, their M&A strategy was, we're going to acquire you and we're going to make you better and we're going to make you like us because we're way better than you are. That's why we're acquiring you. And, and I learned that that's, if, if you want to build a culture and, and you want to build a place where people feel included and, and part of the solution, part of the future, that you can't do that. And uh, and so we strive to do that. We're imperfect, certainly, but we're getting it right a lot. And uh, and we're pretty proud that we went through um, uh, a recapitalization of the business earlier uh, in 22. Uh, nearly all of our partners stayed on and said they wanted to continue forward with us. And that was a real point of pride for the team at Ivy because I think when you look at the the overall therapy landscape as a whole, that's not what you've seen uh, at those junctures and you know, with many other companies. So uh, we, we feel great about that. So that's uh, one of the learnings is, is, you know, culture is king and you've got to make sure that, that you're, you're really investing that and valuing the culture of any groups that you're bringing on and, and that you're infusing that across the, the, the company. Um, the second I'd say is understand the key drivers of your business. And look, there's, you can take a metrics dashboard and it can have, you know, 50 different items, 30 different items, but there's probably a handful that really drive the economic engine of the business. And you've got to get ultra clear on what that is and how you're going to make sure that you balance those key economic drivers with the quality and service that you want to, you want to be able to provide in your community. And what's, what's interesting is when, when you look at uh, economic drivers and you say, sometimes uh, some people think of them as in contrast to clinical drivers. What we've found is that the most productive clinicians tend to also get the best clinical outcomes. Uh, they have the better quality scores. Uh, they have the better arrival rates. Um, so it's it's not an inverse proportion of higher productivity, lower quality. Certainly there's limits to, to, to that. But what we found is the more productive therapists produce better quality outcomes, better engagement from their patients, and and you know ultimately that's repeat business that's word of mouth and that's how you how you really grow a business and and be able to expand and grow your same stores over time. So uh, you, you understand those key drivers and the metrics, and then and then you really make sure you you have the right training and education to help your directors and and your leaders uh, be able to grow. And I think when when I think about this this idea of of KPIs. Uh, you, you've got to be able to put it in real simple terms so 
your clinicians understand how to grab a hold of it and how to apply it to what they do. Because it's really easy to say units per visit is something we, we should improve. Well, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. Let's understand what a care session looks like, you know, what we value, whether it's hands-on care, whether that's functional training, um, whether that's other activities that we do. And let's ensure that our coding and our documentation includes that. And so it's it's breaking it down to points because most of us, and I'm a physical therapist by background. I've been one for coming up on 30 years. So uh, so uh, getting getting close to that 30-year mark at this point. But one of, one of the things I've learned is we don't get a whole lot of business training in school. And we ask our, our directors and our leaders, uh, who vast majority are clinicians, to be able to you know, run a business. And we've got to be able to provide them the tools and the resources and support to be able to do that effectively. And I would, I would guess, you know, just on those first two topics, right? Like the dynamic of, you know, um, your culture and bringing on clinicians that are matching the culture, but with the dynamic of, you know, driving results, right. On behalf of the patients, um, you know, th- those two things go hand in hand. I would, I would suspect. They, they do. And, and, you know, we, we use a word, it's an important one. It's intentionality because just saying you've got great clinicians, you've got great patients. So that'll mean everything will run great. I wish, I wish it were that easy. Right. Um, although, you know, if, if that were the case, then everybody would be, you know, running pediatric therapy clinics. The, the reality is there's an intentionality that goes in how you create those interactions, how you measure the, the, the items behind that. So, you know, we measure things like, you know, parent education sessions so that we make sure we're doing things that engage the parents and the families, because ultimately that's going to lead to better care uh, for the kids that that we, we treat in the clinics. And so I, I think it's sometimes easy to say and, and, and hard to do. And it's the people who make the, those commitments to doing it are the ones that I think wind up winning out in the end. Yeah, no, it makes, makes sense. Makes sense. And you were about to, I think, reference a third one before I, before I interjected there. Sure. No, it's, and this goes from, uh, you know, is when you're small site uh, to go into to two single site to go to two or three, or when you're larger and you go from, you know, 20 to, to 30 and it's building scalable processes. And it, it's, it's where most businesses break. And, and we've watched a lot of single site practices that you're able to will it to happen because you're there every day and you're on site every day. And they go to two or three or four sites and it takes a totally different approach uh, and it takes systems, it takes processes, it takes consistency, it takes shared language that you use across the different sites because you can't will it at every site, you know, every day. And again, some people are pretty good at it, uh, but at some point in that scaling process, being able to will it to happen breaks and you've got to be able to lean on processes and and on the the way you communicate with the team. And so one of the things that we've learned as we've grown is every process that we're looking at, we're saying, okay, is that scalable? Does that work when we add our next 10 or 20 clinics or does that start to break down? And what happens, you know, we're, you know, we started last year at, uh, at 30 sites there, I think it was 35 sites that we started last year at at 22. And, you know, we finished the year at just over a hundred sites. Wow. And so a lot can break <laughs> In going from you know thirty five to a hundred, if if you're not constantly thinking of not what do we what does this look like at hundred, but what does it look like at two or three hundred sites, 
Um, and, and if we if we think about it that way, then listen, we're not going to get it right all the time, but we're getting a lot more of them right. And then when we find a process that isn't scaling, then then we're able to reach back around and uh, and make the appropriate changes on that. And I think that's helped us do it in a quality way as we've grown. Because pediatrics can be so different, right, than the adult space, how much of how much of the processes were you able to take, right, from the adult uh, business and and replicate or or use and leverage as you went to grow the pediatric business, or were you really starting from scratch? You know, it's a great question, and honestly, uh, the majority of the processes you know pulled over. Um, but majority might be 75%. So there is still quite a bit of build and quite a bit of customization to make sure we're getting it right. Because, you know, look, in, in a typical outpatient therapy clinic, uh, orthopedic therapy clinic, you, you have a, a physical therapist or a handful of physical therapists. In pediatric therapy clinics, you've got PTs, you've got OTs, you've got speech language pathologists. In many of our sites, we have uh, behavioral technicians and board certified behavioral analysts. Uh, doing ABA therapy with kids, the complexity goes up significantly. So, um, and and each of those professions have their own uh, nuances that that make what they do really special. So, it, it's important for us to be able to adjust our processes to each of the disciplines. And then you add in a bunch of disciplines. Well, now these disciplines have to interact with each other um, because many kids are getting two or three services while they're in our care. It's great for the parents. They get more of a one-stop shop process, but because they have to get that, you've got to create communication channels between therapists so that we make sure we're really rounding on the total care for the patient, not just uh, each operating in a silo, so to speak. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So I'm a I'm a sports guy, and you know, you you go into a game, right? And there's you can go in with the the best laid plan, right? You you did all your pre work before you're going into a game, and then all of a sudden the defense throws something at you, um, good or bad, and you have to you have to modify, right? You have to kind of adjust. So as you as you went and rolled, um, and as you were you know building up to these hundred clinics, there had to have been a surprise, right? There was there was something that got thrown at you that whether it was again good or bad. But what would you say was the the biggest surprise that you guys have had over the past few years? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a good and maybe a, a challenge that that we had. So the the good one is, and, and listen, I've, I'm a physical therapist. I've worked with therapists for a lot of years. Um, pediatrics is just different, and so what I was surprised and and really humbled by was the passion and commitment of our pediatric clinicians and 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 really our front office team too it's such a mission-based business and, and how much they care and how dedicated they are. And, you know, we, we had uh, teammates who were coming to us saying, you know, we want to do hippotherapy, which is a, you know, a form of therapy on, on horseback and all the benefits that you get from that type of, of movement, you know, and they came with the best built out plan and just this passion for why it was going to help. Wasn't necessarily the best business move, but it certainly was something that, that they really thought about and they found ways to make it work within our model. And, uh, and you know, that, that just, it warms your heart when you see people that passionate about what they do and, and, and what they're willing to give and dedicate of themselves to make it happen for the kids and their families. Um, it wasn't all uh, joy. So I think one of the challenging pieces that we've seen, and I think it's 
many of us in this profession, certainly across most professions, have experienced is the the changing uh, needs of our workforce, and you know the the challenges with the desire for more schedule flexibility, the desire for more workplace flexibility. You know where you do your work now. That used to never be a question in therapy of well, you do it in a clinic, of course, or you you do home care. But now there's digital mediums uh, that that we're uh, we're doing, and we continue to be deep in exploring how to do it better as as we go forward. So I, I think that's led to a similar challenge that we've all have faced in uh, across the, the country is turnover and making sure that that we're uh, providing an environment where people feel included. Uh, they they feel special about what they're doing. Uh, they feel like they have a mission uh, for for why they're doing it. And uh, and and I, l- listen, I think we're we're doing well with it, and uh, and we want to do better. Uh, we 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 recently rolled out an initiative around workplace flexibility and schedule flexibility for a therapist that that I think is going to continue to help them have options for how they create. Uh, you know, a work environment that's conducive for them individually while still being something that's right, provides the right access for the kids and right for, for the organization, because we, we all have to win together. Uh, and, and so we, we think we're, we're navigating that, but I, I certainly would put that up as in 22, when you're growing really fast, definitely one of the biggest challenges when you're getting a, a real changing uh, workforce and, and listen through the, the pandemic, we saw a significant drop off in the number of clinicians. A lot of clinicians stopped practicing during that time, and uh, and and you know by by estimates, it's anywhere between ten or fifteen percent of the profession stopped practicing during that time. And so when you're seeing this high need for clinicians, um, uh, that that's a big driver of it. And so we're we're still in recovery, and uh, but we think we're we're coming out of the other end in a positive way. Twenty twenty two. Or 23, I've talked with a lot of practices, both pediatric therapy and orthopedic, and this seems to be a comeback year. At least January, February will will, will take two months as a trend uh, is is starting out better than maybe where we were in 22. Yeah, that's great. And that's, I mean, to your point about the pandemic, what I find it's it's an issue of every business, right? And And what I find interesting about it uh, is it, it depends on the individual's state of stage of, of their life, right? Like somebody right at a school wants something very different than somebody, you know, perhaps middle-aged with, you know, children at home compared to somebody that's a empty nester. Right. And so there, you throw that into the mix with what happened with the pandemic. And there's just like, how do you, how do you solve that? Right. How do you build a cohesive team? How do you make sure everybody feels involved, but yet, people have different perspectives and, and thoughts on how that should look and feel right. And, and their needs are different. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic that I think every business is, is going to be um, challenged and, and uh, have to work through, you know, through the, you know, I think really, I think the pandemic has changed that for, um, for the unforeseeable future for the most part. Yeah. And, and you're seeing some interesting shifts in workforce overall, in essence, you're seeing more therapists coming out of school as new graduates saying, how many hours do I need to work to be able to get benefits? And so let's say that's 30. And so we, we talk about attrition from the profession. 
And we say, well, what's the attrition from going from 40 hours to 30? That's a 25% attrition in the profession. Mm-hmm. We didn't lose anybody right. from the profession, but, but just... that's 25% less hours mm-hmm. that, are, that are being worked. So we call it functional attrition uh, that, that we're seeing. And, and so we're, we're navigating that. And I think one of the ways you, you navigate is you meet people uh, where, where they are and you find ways that, uh, that, that allow them to, to have the level of work and functionality that they want to. And I think the digital side is, is extremely intriguing because people do want to work from home more than they ever wanted to before. And there's a, a real avenue and you say, boy, can you actually do therapy from, from home? Listen, PT and OT, you, you can, it's hard. Uh, but the speech therapy actually translates pretty well to the home setting. And, and so we've got a, a robust amount of work going in being able to virtualize uh, some of what we do around uh, speech therapy, speech language pathology. And it's going to provide access for more kids, but it's also going to provide uh, environmental flexibility for our clinicians that allow them to to be more of where they are, or many of, of what you see in, in particularly in all three professions, PTOT and speech, they're, they're female-dominated fields. And in OT and speech, it's probably north of 90% uh, of female. So you see a certain amount of attrition that first five to 10 years as people start families. Uh, the digital piece might find a way to bring some of them back into the workforce on a part-time basis that they, they don't necessarily want to pick up and leave uh, leave their home and, and spend eight hours in a clinic, but they can see some patients uh, from a distant space. So lots of neat opportunities, I think, for us to be able to continue to explore and, and, and hone as we go forward. Yeah, well, and, and you touched on it as well, but for your patients, right? Like just the, the ability for the parents to get their child, you know, access to care that uh, in a, a little bit of a simpler fashion as well, that might be more conducive than being able to get them to a clinic on a, on a routine basis. Right. So, uh, sounds like a, a win-win. So you guys have built a great business over the past five or so years. Right. And, you know, I think if I think about it, you know, it was during a pandemic as well. Um, so, you know, what, what's next, right? Like if you look at your, the last five years compared to the next five years of growth, you know, what do you see having to do differently or more, much of the same? Um, obviously the world's a, a little bit of a different place, uh, a different stage. So w- what are your thoughts there about the next, the next, uh, phase of growth? Yeah. You know, we, we use a, an analogy from, uh, the Jim Collins book, good to great, uh, quite often we talk about the flywheel and you've got this giant cylinder that you're pushing and it's, uh, and it's going really slow. And I think what we saw in 2022 was we got that flywheel rolling and we, we got it moving at a pace. And, and that was a big part of our growth accelerating. Uh, what's in the future for us? Look, we think there's uh, a lot more communities uh, that, that need our services. Um, we think there's a, a big opportunity for us to continue to grow our ABA business. Uh, and so that's applied behavioral analysis business focused on children with autism. We have it in about 15 sites right now uh, of our of our 100 plus, and we're going to have it on a lot more sites than that in the future because there's such a phenomenal interaction between uh, ABA therapy and our pediatric, particularly OT and speech, but PTOT and speech. It's interesting um, because that hasn't been a model that's been overly successful in, in other areas um, there's a lot of ABA companies, large ABA companies 
that have brought on OT and speech uh, language pathologists and, and, it ha- and it's gone okay, but it hasn't been great. And it was interesting because we were talking to some ABA companies and they said, oh yeah, our ancillary services. And I said, what are your ancillary services? Oh, you know, PTOT and speech. And, and, and that's the way they looked at it. And so it never integrated well into what they do. And we see ABA therapy and pediatric therapy as both core businesses for us that, that marry together really well. And uh, our, our speech language pathologists, our OTs, they're teaching our, our BCBAs um, and our BCBAs are teaching our PTs, uh, OTs and speech language pathologists. And we're getting better together every day. And the convenience that it provides for the parents is unbelievable. Uh, th- these are parents that, you know, have a lot going on in their lives and they're trying to manage all the schedules of, of kids appointments. And when they can come into one clinic and get all their therapy needs met, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, the, the reviews and the comments back from, from the parents is really special. So we see that we think there's a good continued growth for us. Um, our, our de novo or new site program continues to go well. We open most of our new sites with a partner in the clinic uh, you know, a clinician who might not normally go out and, uh, you know, go into a ton of debt to, and take all the risk to open a practice. But in partnering with us, we do that together. And so we think this is our way of being able to help budding entrepreneurs be able to have success. And so it's been met incredibly well. And uh, we think that's going to be a key part of our growth in, in the future. Um, in addition to that, look, outcomes is a, is a big talk in the industry. And right now in pediatric therapy, there's no prevailing outcomes measure. And so when you think about, uh, you know, one of the responsibilities of being, you know, the, the largest and, and, and the leading company in the industry, we're going to work to be able to find what outcomes is for pediatric therapy and working with a couple uh, outside organizations to be able to get the right tools in place. And we expect by the end of 2023 to at minimum be piloting, if not having those uh, being rolled out and, and be able to show objectively the great work that we're doing, you know, to, to payers, to the community and others, because we, we just think it's such a valuable service and having the data behind you that says what you're doing is making a difference is, is uh, really important. And so those are some areas we're going to be investing. So growth from a size standpoint, but also growth from infrastructure and support that we think will, will really help. Uh, the community and and certainly help the kiddos. Yeah, and that's where I was just going to say, right, and and ultimately having an impact on kids' lives, which is which is pretty awesome business to be in. So Troy, I think we're about out of time today, but I really want to appreciate or really want to share with you that I appreciate you joining the show. I think our our listeners, I know I did, but I, I'm sure our listeners will also take a lot of nuggets out of the conversation today. Um, anything that you want to leave leave the folks with? No, listen, thanks for the time. I, I appreciate uh, being able to be on here, talk a little bit about IV Rehab for Kids. I, I think we're, we're, we're doing something special, something with uh, a big mission behind us, and I'm excited for what the future will bring. So thanks for the time and, and glad to be able to get the message out. Awesome. Thanks, Troy. Well, audience, thank you for tuning in to Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? 
contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot jones at raintreeinc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, therapy and rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at raintreeinc.com.